We are back, baby. We are back. That's we right. are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Runes podcast. This is episode 260 of the pod. We stumble into a new decade, but we got plenty to cover. It is a major championship week on tour, the 150th playing of the Open Championship at the home of golf. All the history that drips out of that place and all of the uh, history that awaits here this week. We're going to dig into it all. We're going to offer up some uh, picks to click there as well. Got to talk a little White Sox because they've become, I don't know, they've become uh, a parody of sorts um, in, in the way they're being managed, the way they're playing. Yeah, you know, again, I still have uh, still have. I don't think optimism is the right word anymore, but I have hope for this team um, because you continue to look at the roster and say, what the hell is going on? But they might just, they might just be a, they are who they are situation right now. Uh, we got a couple of things to touch upon as well, but first and foremost, Matt Rooney, how are you? You know, it's open championship week, Joe, you touched on it there. Come in the on beginning. And after don't get me wrong. I love the U S open. It's great. It's, you know, it's America's tournament and I love it. I love watching it. PGA is a lot of fun. Masters will always be my favorite major, but after that, it's the Open, just because it's such a different type of golf that we see. Obviously, the U.S. Open is too, because they make the course out, you know, a lot, you know, a lot harder. But like, just the the link style of golf that we don't always get to see. Some of the creativity of these players, kind of the simplicity of it at times too. Mm-hmm. I I love the Open Championship, and especially the fact that we're back at St. Andrews. We're in a tournament that, you know, Tiger should, in theory, be able to physically hold up for four rounds. And I don't think we'll see a PGA type thing here because it's a little bit of an easier walk. I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. for um, this. I'm going to be in Vegas for a couple of days for it too. Ooh, so we have like bright, and early, bright and early to be seeing the, uh, to be seeing the rounds. Can't, cannot wait for it. We, uh, I want to unpack a couple of things there. First and foremost, your power rankings here of the majors. Mm-hmm. I tend to agree with you masters first. And then I'll, I'll offer a qualifier here. Open Championship at St. Andrews or Carnoustie. That would be my number two. If it's mm-hmm. not St. Andrews or Carnoustie, then I'd say U.S. Open is my number two. Open Championship, my number three. PGA is my number four. But uh, That's a fair point PGA. about the U.S. Open, depending on where the course is. I what think those two are like, kind of, yeah. Like last like year's course, say, what was it? Uh, I can't remember the name of it, the – Royal St. George is like that course was, yes. it was fine. Yeah, that, that's wind, a fair point. wind didn't blow last year. It barely played like links. It really yeah. benefited Colin Morikawa, who's a ball striker who sometimes struggles in the wind. So to see him win an open championship, it almost, um, it almost didn't make sense. It almost didn't reconcile for him to be halfway through the career grand slam. And I think that's like, uh, in terms of Colin Morikawa, that's almost like, getting a triple in your second at bat trying to hit for the cycle. Like he got, he's got the hard one now. I think, I think Colin Morikawa will wear a green jacket someday. And I think that his game fits what it might take at a U.S. Open. Like it's a little bit more Parkland. It's a little bit more straightforward golf. Just knowing mm-hmm. that he's got the open championship scratched off his list. Uh, I think he's ever closer uh, to hitting for that cycle, but uh, we could go down a million di- different paths here, but let's start with the big cat. You mentioned him. Mm. Uh, going for mm. major number 16, what would be his third win at St. Andrews to go along with the record win in the year 2000 to complete the career grand slam and then uh, doubling it back in 2005 before winning the Open Championship again in 2006. So this would be his third at St. Andrews, his fourth Claret Jug overall, and his 16th major. And I think that we can talk about it that, that way this week. Because you touched on something there, Matt, with the PGA and him WDing and how the bodies felt. Tiger has played so much golf this week mm-hmm. in Scotland. Yeah, he's seen a different course every day. You're seeing it on Twitter. Not just that, the fact that he's comfortable enough to be doing that. He mm-hmm. played the oh, JP yeah. McManus two straight days. He was uh, the next day. He was at um, North Berwick, was he or no? I forget where he played, but he played with JT and Spieth the next day. Then went to Rory one day, right? Played or yes, he played with Rory. So it was. It was J.P. McManus for two days, Rory at Burkdale, yeah. and then uh, J.T. and Speed somewhere else, and then he was in Scotland, or excuse me, then he was at St. Andrews. He's been playing practice rounds every day. Like, he's not on a pitch count in his buildup, which lets me know he has no worry about his body holding mm-hmm. up, making this walk at St. Andrews. And um, 
I heard a couple of the guys talking about it on Golf Channel that Tiger Woods could make the cut at this tournament if he had no game. If he had, if he couldn't find the face, he could make the cut because he could strategize his way around this course better than anybody in the field. He knows where to be. He knows where not to be. He knows where the speed slots are. He knows where to take his kicks. He knows that it's a lead tape weekend. He always had lead tape to his putter here um, in the uh, open championship because the greens do run a little slower and he's looking for a hotter face. So like just his, his game plan is going to be better than anybody's this week. It's just a matter of how he can execute it. So I do have high hopes. I think that, I think that we could really take our hats off and maybe he's in the fourth to last pairing on Sunday and ends up getting the top 10. And that would be an amazing moment um, coming down the 18th at the 150th playing of, the open championship mm-hmm. and the home of golf. Like it, it almost sounds like hyperbole and storybook stuff, but like I think tiger rises to the moment and offers us a top 10 this week. I think I know that's, that's wishful thinking, but I think that's where, where I'm at. Well, I know you're a, uh, I know you, you're a CBS is a, is a Caesar sports book partner there. They have a nice prop here. Cause I hope we always, you know, look at the, some odds before the tournament. I have the odds open in front of me. Trey Wingo's the open odds boost. Tiger Woods top twenty finish ties or losses at plus two seventy five. I love that. Okay, I think yeah. I really love that boosted bet. So or I think just that's say some- screw it, eighty to one outright, baby. <laughs> eighty to one. I saw it at sixty five. Where are you seeing eighty? I want to. I saw eighty. That. I saw eighty yesterday on uh, on Caesars. Oh hell yeah! Well, it's down to sixty five now. So somebody, somebody, put yeah, some serious cash on that. That makes sense. Uh, that makes but sense. no, like, and, and I think the way you hear Tiger talk this week um, about. You know, 150th at St. Andrews, probably his last – he didn't say it was his last open at St. Andrews, but the last one he thinks he can really compete at at St. Andrews. Yeah, where I, I think it's we're, just a walk across the Swilkin from, from yeah. here on out, you know? And I think what we talked about, you know, after the PGA and a little bit after the Masters was like this was – I think this now looking back in hindsight was kind of always his goal to be really ready for golf, like competitive, I'm ready to like win type of golf. I think Augusta – awesome on him. He made the cut and obviously emptied the tank to do that. But I think everything he's been doing has been leading up to the 150th at St. Andrews, the most historic course, you know, one of the most historic tournaments in the world. This is one that he really wanted to make sure that he was competitive for, because this is his last chance at St. Andrews to probably be very competitive in a British open. So I think that, I think it all makes sense. And I think we're going to see, we're going to see his best shot this weekend. I think we're going to see a hit, the most healthy tiger that we've seen. And like you said, throughout the last week and a half, we've seen him playing a different course out there every day. And I think that was somewhat of a calculated move by him. I think he wants to be seen playing golf. And so people know that this is like, I'm here to play, not just make the cut and then fade out in round three. Like I'm here to play and try to win this week. And I, I, I think we're going to see his best. I mean, think about it from a couple different angles here. Like not only is this the one we had circled, this is kind of what we had circled as Tiger's debut, maybe when he, yeah. when when we got the news that the car accident wasn't life threatening. I remember that part. We said this I hope, week, either this tournament or the next correct. or next year's Masters. Correct, and we were not alone. And the fact that we've seen him as much as we have already this season, and he has a little bit of experience leading into this moment that we had circled for him, and I'm sure that he had circled for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been. It's been an emotional year, obviously. It's been a uh, it's been a year with highs and lows. It's to see him walk up the seventy second hole at the Masters after making a cut with a bunch of big names that didn't make the cut. It's we're playing with house money here. This is all bonus time when it comes to the career of Tiger Woods. But on the other on the other side of that coin, the man who always considers himself a factor, regardless of the form that he's in, this is not just his best chance at an open championship or at St. Andrews or this year, I believe that this is his best chance for the rest of his career. We could talk yeah. about his ability to think his way around Augusta and maybe clip one in the next three or four years at Augusta if his body rounds into form and, and he can do what he needs to do out there. We could talk about LACC next year. We could talk about whatever. There's never going to be an opportunity like the one he has over these four weeks for the remainder of his career. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I just think that that is plain and simple fact that if Tiger Woods wants to win another major, if Tiger Woods wants to tell everybody again that I'm not finished, I will dictate this on my own terms. 
And if he wants to go out there and be the champion golfer of the year, or if he wants to hoist any sort of trophy, this is the one. I mean, you, you, include non-majors. This is his best opportunity yeah. to win a golf tournament for the remainder of his career. And I think that that's, um, I, I don't know if that, that's a, I don't know if that's a weight that's on his shoulders, but I think it's an understanding that he has. Yeah. And I, I think St. Andrews, and it's not disrespectful to St. Andrews to say this. I think it's something that's it, of all the courses that you're going to play majors at, it's it has easy, of your easy mind isn't it the right, body. yeah, e- easy isn't the right word, but it's much more of a, like, everybody can pretty much put themselves in the same spot. Like Bryson, I saw today, hit a six iron 305 off the tee because it's a racetrack out there. Yeah. So it's not he's like Tiger's going to be at a, going. he's uh, probably on steroids <laughs> as well. Um, <laughs> it's not like there's this big distance disadvantage. It, it, it's really is yeah. a thinking man's golf course. And it's weird. It's weird that we're start. I mean, it's not, it shouldn't be weird, but it's weird that we're talking about at the stage of his career, Tiger Woods being more the thinking man than the, you know, I'm just as good as everybody. It still makes me feel old to say that, but we're there. But like, this is a course that he knows well. And like you said, he knows exactly where he has to be. And if he's in the wrong spot, one place, then he knows where he exactly has to be on the second shot to get himself back in the right spot. What it's going to come down to for Tiger and probably just about for everybody else is making eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 footers when you have those chances to gain strokes or not lose strokes. So there's going to be plenty of those opportunities. And I think the, the players who are creative around the green, get themselves in good spots and are putting well, just like any major are the ones that's going, that are going to give themselves the best chance to win this weekend. All right. Because the ball uh, striking is going to kind of wash, I think a little bit. Let's run down the odds here. Not making any picks just yet, Matt, but let's talk about some storylines because there are some big ones. You got Rory nine to one favorite mm-hmm. to uh, win here. He he is an open champion. He has this reverence for the game, having been born in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. This is playing um, his best golf of his career right now. This or, is not, his best since twenty fourteen. I should say no, exactly cool. playing playing his best golf for the last half decade. I would one hundred percent agree with that. He's been in the mix at the majors this season. He's won some tournaments. I, I think that he's a I think he is a true 1-1 one, one, uh, leader in the odds. I don't think that that's a misrepresentation of where these guys are at by any means. No, I, I think he should be the favorite with the way he's playing. Um, I'm not probably not going to bet him because I don't I, – I think I will wait until I can try and get some live odds maybe. I, I just with the value right there at 9-1, to one, I don't love it because I – as well as he's playing, I still need to see Rory not have the one bad blow-up round. Yeah. Um, but he should going into this tournament, he should be the favorite. I think there's some recency bias, obviously, with Xander just winning at 14 to one. Uh, I, you and I have talked about it. You've said it more than I have. I, I'll believe Xander is going to win a major when I see him win a major. I don't know why JT is as far down as he is on this list. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's not like he's super far down. He's like the seventh favorite. But like I saw on FanDuel yesterday, he's like 21 to one. Now he's 18 to one on Caesars. Uh, I don't know if that's people betting, maybe just different odds like uh, because it's a different book. But either way, usually in, in tournaments, he's kind of more – it's Rory, Scheffler, and then it's JT. Now you got guys like Jordan ahead of him. you got Fitzpatrick, uh, same uh, same Mount Rom, who hasn't been – obviously John Rom's a great player, but he hasn't been playing that great at golf this year at 16-1 to 1 ahead of JT. That's the one that I'm like, why is he as far down as he is? Yeah, that's – I mean, I wholeheartedly agree, agree with you. I think he should be in that – um, 14 to one, 16 to one range. So there is some value to be had there uh, with JT at 18 to one. I, I don't want to gloss over Xander here because uh, yeah, we'll believe it when we see it, but right now he's building a little belief, if not in us, at least within himself that he can go out there and rattle off wins. He's won three consecutive starts. And now you could scoff at the JP McManus between, but then say it, he's won back-to-back starts. He won mm-hmm. the Travelers and then won the Scottish. And for a guy who's struggled to get it to the clubhouse with the lead on a Sunday, to have that sort of belief, to have that sort of, um, to have that sort of results-based confidence on your side, I think that makes him a very live 14 to one. I think that makes him, mm-hmm. I don't think you can price him any differently. And I think that, there's a chance that we're talking about Xander on Sunday because of where his game has been at. I think that mm. Xander is a guy who can work the ball both ways. He kind of plays a flighted shot naturally. He's not a huge guy. I mean, he walks low to the ground, so he knows how to play the ground game. I think that I, I think that Xander, I think that Xander could show up here and maybe give us 
his best major performance since scaring it at the Masters a few years ago, at least. Yeah. But uh, to, con- to continue to run down the list here, uh, Scotty at sixteen to one. It just feels like Scotty's going to top ten because that's what Scotty does. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much juice is left in the tank, to be honest with you, for Scotty Scheffler. It's been a long season. He's been. He's become one of the faces of the sport in four months' time. He's accomplished more over the last four months than he could have ever dreamed of accomplishing in his career, probably. I don't know where he's at in terms of like how where his motor is at and if he can get fired up. You almost for a saw it in the golf. U.S. Open, too. Like, yeah. when he, he had that great start. Even on Sunday, he had that great start. And then, like, kind of where's the motor? Not not the drive motor, but, like, how physically how much is left in the tank, like, he just ran out of gas in the back nine in the yeah. U.S. Open. Is it going to be something similar here? Um, I think that speed at 16 to 1 is a nice price there. It, it, I, okay, so in terms of our era, in terms of the players maybe we claim as our own, our age mm-hmm. group sort of similar yeah. to us, I don't think there's a more um, – I don't think there's a more prepared. I don't think that there's a more uh, well-rounded golfer for what links golf – requires than Jordan Spieth. He has the imagination. He doesn't mind playing from an opposite fairway. Um, if you allow Same. him to spray it, if, me too. If you allow him to spray it off, if you give him places to spray it off the tee, he will recover. Um, I, I think that he's a young man who has a reverence for this game as well, which is something you kind of need. You kind of need a little humility when you walk around these places and you see buck 35 and you're going to, Greller's going to hand me, a seven iron, like mm-hmm. some guys are, some guys aren't okay with that. They'll talk yeah. themselves into a pitching wedge when it is a low seven iron. Cause you want to take that 25 yard bounce off the burn in front of the green. Like this is the type of golf that Jordan Spieth, uh interacts with. It's the type of golf that engages him and maybe keeps him locked in and lets him stay focused on each individual shot and not on what's going on with his caddy or what's going on with his shoes or what's going on with his hands or what's going on with the mud ball. You have to be so in the moment. And I think that this brings the best Jordan speed out. So I'm just going to get out in front of it right now. My pick to win Jordan speed 16. Let's, to go. One is where I'm going. Let's go. I'm on, I'm also on that as well. I'm, I'm going to friend of the podcast. Matt Seeger going to be with me in Vegas along with a, a few other Wesleyan guys. Um, but he and I were, were talking about what bets we want to make. We're both going to be big on, on the Jordan 16 to one to win. Um, I think what you said, first off, did you see the clip uh, with him and Greller? It was the par three, I think at the Scottish where the wind was like whipping in his face and he's he, yes. uh, it's like, that, that's not going to get there. That's not going to get, that's there. not going to get there. That's and not going to get there. Seven feet. I would pay so much money for a stream of Jordan and Greller mic'd up the entire tournament. Yeah. I don't know who I got to talk to to get that done. You know, some people over there at CBS, talk mm-hmm. to some people, get it hooked up. I don't, I don't know how we do it, but just let's get that done. Um, uh, unfortunately, it's but, an NBC week. so I Yeah, but like, you know, <laughs> figure it out. You, I'm just saying you got the gotcha, content. Gotcha, yeah. You got the content. No, no, totally. Figure it out. Um, but no, I agree with you with him. I think similar to, geez, I don't even think it's the generation before us, the generation before them, like the, the Jack Arney Watson generation, Gary. Mm-hmm. Tom Watson's kind of known as the British Open guy. He he won it, you know, he won there a bunch and he's kind of the that, that's kind of his like obviously Jack won a bunch too, but like Tom Watson's kind of known as like the, the British Open guy. Yeah, the fact though, I think, British Open. I think Jordan's going to end this group's era as the de facto British Open guy. I think he's going to get yeah. a lot here because of what you said because of that, that combination of, you know, reverence for the game, obviously reverence for the history of the game. He, it seems like he loves being over there and his creativity on the golf course is his ability to I get lack of a better word, just get creative in times when he has to not mm-hmm. really need to be in that. He, he doesn't get phased by bad shots. He doesn't get phased by bad lies. He's, he's really just truly we're on to the next shot. I really kind of envy that. Um, but I, I, I think his game, his mindset, his mentality sets up to be a British open guy. So I, I'm with you. He was right there last year. He made some runs. Uh, Colin was just a little bit better down the stretch, made a few more putts. Yep. I think Jordan's going to be right there again this weekend. So is that, are we going with co co pick to win? I can't pick Jordan if you no? pick Jordan. Can I? Okay, right, that's so, not fun. No, I mean, you can, but like, what, what's the fun of that? You're right. Sorry, I'll, I'll um, in between JT and Zalatoris. Okay. You know what? Will, Will Zalatoris gets one. Let's go with Will Zalatoris. Yeah, I mean, he's... 
set the runners up. He's, he's been there. Um, he seems to be the big game hunter. His strokes gain putting in major weeks is like a completely different person than his strokes gain putting mm-hmm. normal weeks. I don't know how that translates to maybe a less uh, precise putting test here at yeah. St. Andrews, but um, I don't know if that helps him or hurts him, but never a bad pick there. Will the thrill at 25 to one. Now it's uh, a little, a little long- bit different because um, the, these types of approach shots are going to be a little bit different, but Shorts mm-hmm. gain, sh- shot, shorts gain, shots gain approaching the green this year. Zalatoris leads the tour. Um, yep. So I, I get, it's going to be a little bit different because approaching the green at St. Andrews is going to take a little bit more creativity, a little different types of shots, but still that's something that, you know, you want to take the putter out of his, or you want to give him the easiest chance to putt because he's not the greatest of putters. But like you said, in majors, he seems to putt well. And if he's given himself, you know, great approach shots, great chances coming up to the green, he's, he's always a hot putter a week away from winning. A um, couple other sprinkles I'm going to have. Uh, Tommy Ladd, Tommy Fleetwood coming in at 35 to 1. Mm-hmm. I feel like you just got to have like a – you got to have a foreign guy on your card. Like it almost harkens to like the thoughts of um, – to like Shane Lowry and like a champion maybe you don't expect, but a guy who we know well. I think Tommy Fleetwood uh, slots nicely into that, a guy who could um, really own the weekend um, going further down the – board even i know a lot of people are on max homa and there's a uh there's sort of two uh, two families of thinking here on homa this week he's playing with tiger he's playing with his idol he's mm-hmm. going to shoot 80 80 and just be gone or he's going to do what joaquin neiman did at the at round one of the masters and it's going to lock him in and he's going to yeah. play the best golf of his career so i'm i'm very excited to see what uh, homa can bring to the table at 50 to one and then just just a mega sprinkle here all the way down the board at 80 to one. Give me Mark Leishman, the big fella. It just, again, you got to have a little team Euro on your card at the open championship. I'm going to also, I'm going to, while I'm going over some picks, I like challenge you. We have had probably in the last like 10 years, we've had random old foreign dude that wins the British in mm-hmm. uh, Ernie Els and um, mm-hmm. Darren Clark. Give me a, well, while I'm going through my picks, scroll down the board, give me a random old, could be British, could be European dude, random old dude that contends. Um, old even Tom Watson did 15 years, 12 years ago at like 65 was right there with hey, Stuart Sink. And hey, Stuart why not, Sink er, was why not Ernie? Why not Ernie again at 500 to one? Jesus. The big easy at 500 to one. I love it. <laughs> um, I like Sam Burns this weekend, a little bit at 40 to one. He's right. He's the same okay. number. I think he's right around this there. I think he's 41 right around the, uh, the Homa number. Uh, who else did I, I love? I love Sam Burns. It scares me when on Tuesday of the major week, you're posting about how crazy it is to be walking St. Andrews for the first time. Like that's the only thing that's fairness, about Sam Burns. It's fair <laughs> enough, but like we also have Max Homa tweeting how cool it is that he gets to play with Tiger true. Woods. So if we're going, if I think that's kind of right, uh, that's a similar worry sentiment to have. Uh, you mentioned him with his performance at Augusta, but I, I like Joaquin Neiman a lot. I, I feel like he, mm-hmm. I feel like in the Masters he put up a really good performance. He's had some pretty good years. In, uh, tournaments this year and when he's hot like we saw it at the genesis like dude's just really good almost unbeatable i like him at 45 to 1 and sung jm at 65 to 1 was another name but i'm it just always seems to be kind of hanging around majors he's always hanging around augusta and you know that's maybe that's not my european random one that's my random foreign long shot that i like fair enough Um, do do you have a do you have a random old european name for me no, I don't. Um, mm, but I wanted to go. I wanted to go. Uh, hacky radio topic. Uh, mm, top live love golf. Even top live golf finisher. Um, I, I do think that. I do think that Brooks makes some noise this week. He sneakily uh, shows up, has a bunch of top tens at the Open Championships. Thirty-five mm. to one is something to look at for me with Brooks. Uh, maybe being sick and tired of everybody talking about him, and 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 essentially goes out there and says, "Talk about this." Yeah. Um, I think it's time. I know his game hasn't been in the best shape, but his body has, which is weird because usually it's his body's not in the best yeah, shape. Yeah, I mean, the last few years has been his knee. Yeah, so if he's healthy, I like Brooks at 35 to 1 as well. Uh, you find Dustin at that same number. I don't think anyone else with the Live Golf uh, moniker matters beyond those two. Although Patrick no. Reed, Patrick Reed maybe. Seen, Patrick Reed has been seen walking around St. Andrews playing his practice rounds covered in live golf logo. Hey, so, you know good what? Good for him. Shoot your shot. I love it. Do you, do you, man? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, what Matt, about Phil? Final... I, I don't. 
I, I got things to do today. I don't have, I don't have that sort of time, Matt. <laughs> um, any, I was going to ask you any parting open championship thoughts, but you just, uh, you blew your last bullet on Phil. Yeah, that was Phil. So, John, John uh, Daly so, at a thousand to one. No, but uh, no, never, not no. But I do. Uh, I, <laughs> I will be really the, fun. I'll have a lot of fun watching him, really. Of course, but I did enjoy uh, uh, the the embrace that was shared between the big cat and that uh, was awesome. and JD on the putting green. It just like I don't know, like when I think of golf when we were little, little, like turning it on and Tiger being dominant. Uh, the next two. The next two faces that come to mind are David Duvall and John Daly for me. Maybe Freddie, but like it was like Tiger, David Duvall, John Daly, Freddie, and Ernie. VJ as well. But like VJ. that was that was that was the golf I grew up on. So I don't know. I just got I don't know if it was not nostalgia, but it got a little felt that one hit me in the fields. Uh, as the that's kids why say. That hit me right in the fields. That's why golf is so cool. Um, like. We saw not only that embrace, but then there was a screenshot too, or like a, a still shot of them chatting on the putting green. And Daly has a cigarette in his mouth, and he's chatting with Tiger Woods wearing <laughs> red spotted Santa pants and a Santa beard. And Tiger yeah. Woods looks like he's in the best shape of his life in a sweater vest and, and turtleneck and hat. And like, and these guys are both going to go tee it off for a chance to compete for the it's, same turn. Like, it's 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 just a cool sport. It's very there's there's room for us all in this game of golf. Did you see? Um, speaking of the attire and all that, did you see the uh, the champions picture? They used to yesterday. Stood out. What was oh, it? see, I loved it. I thought that was up there with like you know the NFL head coaches picture they do every year. Yeah, no, I, I thought, I I thought there was some deep analysis in there. You could scroll in there. Was gotcha. some, there was I some guess fun I guess stuff. I gotta go. I gotta go back and give it a. Give it a third look here and see if I can. Dar- Darren any, Clark's uh, Darren Clark's face is so beat red in it. I is it? Yeah. It's, it's a, it how, looks how like was a, the hair? Darren Clark's the, been the hair, like a super progressive haircut the last couple of years. It's, it's yeah, great. No, it's, it's good stuff. It's good. Stuff. You could tell in the look in his eye. He's like, "Why is there not a cigar in my mouth right now?" Like that's. <laughs> he's like, "Why are we still taking this picture? I could be smoking a cigar." He's, he's pissed. They made him put his drink down for the picture. He's like, what's going on here? My scotch is that way. <laughs> uh, Matt, it's going to be a historic week. Uh, however, it goes down, whoever wins it, it will be a week written in bold in the history of this sport. 150th playing of the Open Championship at the home of golf, where people have been whacking the mashy nibbly for 600 years, um, mm. and here we are. Here we are, um, 600 plus years later, with the best in the world all vying for the claret jug. Uh, we'll have a full breakdown on the back end next week. I uh, hope you enjoy waking up with a coffee and some golf because that's one of my favorite things about the Open Championship too is how bad do you want it as a fan? Like, like are you going to are you going to be up at 459 with Tiger Woods on Friday? I am. Yes. I'm going to be Ooh, up at 459 Eastern. That's I'll that's, probably I'll probably like, be up at like 630. I'll catch him at the turn. But, just, but how so bad like, do you That's 159 my time it? in Vegas. How I bad still do be up. you want it, Matt? Yeah, no, this is not uh, this is not a West Coast viewing pleasure. No, it's uh, not. Tiger does tee off at uh, just shy of 10 a.m. Eastern on Thursday, which would be just shy of 7 a.m. in Vegas. Yeah, that's, which is, that one I'll be up for. Which is, yeah, but that's just like a late well, that's night tomorrow, in though, Vegas, also. 7 a.m. That's, tomorrow's so. Thursday. So um, um, let's, but, uh, you said it, though. Yeah, like, yeah. As much as I, I love Thursday through Saturday, I love the coffee. Mm-hmm. I love breakfast, watching the British and all that stuff. The one thing that I don't love about the open is Sunday, like two o'clock. I'm finding myself like, well, what am I supposed to watch? Just line up a good movie. All right. I know, but like, that's my, like, I, I love, like, I love major, major championship Sunday, having it kind of be my evening viewership. And that's like, Uh it's like, Oh, it's over now. How about, uh, how about it's time to start digging into some film study because football season's right around the corner and with football season right around the corner, maybe we won't have to even think about the White Sox in October because it doesn't look like that they're going to be there. It doesn't look like they're a team rounding in a form. It doesn't look like they're going to fulfill our hopes, Matt. Um, Tony La Russa, uh, again, back back on his bullshit, if you will, rock, walking Jose Ramirez on an 0-1 count, uh, trying to prove to everybody he's smarter than everybody. He's got a team wrought with talent that he can't get any production out of for some reason or another. They don't look like they're having fun. They don't look like they want to be on the road together. They don't look like they have any momentum when they get back home. I I don't know. I I just, I think this week, this, this most recent 10 day stretch, Mm -hmm. um, I lost, I lost a little, I lost a lot of optimism around this White Sox team, um, struggling through a couple of series and losing the teams that they should beat. 
You um, know that it's we're, 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 we're approaching the all-star break here, and you're three games under 500. You were an in-vogue pick to win the World Series, to win the pennant. You had two guys that were in the top 15 of AL MVP um, uh, preseason odds. Like, what the hell's going on here? And all I can do is point at the manager who can't get it out of these players who we know are talented. These aren't mm-hmm. young guys anymore. We're not wondering if Jose Abreu can get the job done. We're not wondering what Luis Robert is. We're not wondering what uh, Yoan Moncada can do or um, what, um, uh, or what we're going to get out of. Yeah, what we're going to get out of Tim Anderson or the depth in this roster, or we're not wondering who's going to play where on what day. We know what's supposed. We know what's. We know what it's supposed to look like, and we know we're not seeing it. Yeah, and it's not even that these guys have plateaued. It's that under Tony Larusa, especially this season, they've all regressed. Like Luis Robert to start the year, I remember through the first week, I think I might have talked about it on the podcast. I don't remember. Luis Robert, going into this year, the, was if he can lay off the slider, the slider low and away from right-handers, if he can learn to lay off that pitch, he's going to be an MVP candidate. Through the first two and a half, three weeks of the season, he was laying off the first pitch and he was an MVP. Like he was one of the best hitters in baseball. He's now gone back to being unable to lay off that pitch. He's widened his, he's opened up his stance a little bit more, which was an issue for him when he first came up here. They narrowed it, closed it down a little bit uh, right around the, the, the 2020 playoffs. And last year, he became a much better hitter. His stance is way too open, back to being open now. They're, they're falling. They're, all of them seem, with the exception of Jose Abreu, I'm, I'm not going to rip him. He's been fantastic this year. Yeah. But, like, they're all falling back into old habits. They're all – and there's just – There's there no coaching be, happening. There's no accountability. Like there's no and there's, exactly. There is no coaching. It's – and I know Tony, even back when he was in St. Louis and not sleeping in the dugout, like, his philosophy was it's a long season, you know, kind of going to kind of let the players do – like, let them – kind of be for a little bit i'll intervene if i really really have to but for the most part like this is their team i'm gonna i'm gonna do some things here and there but like kind of be a hands-off manager not every team calls for that the the cardinals also had guys like pujols and yadi who were you know more on field coaches in themselves and the Sox don't really have those types of guys and tony la is not the guy that's he's he doesn't seem interested in coaching that, he seems that's interested right in there. managing. That's he right doesn't there. seem interested in coaching. And this Regardless, team, as talented I, I as they think, are, needs coaching. I don't think he's interested in any of it at this point. I think he bit off more than he could chew. 100%. At times, at times. Just say he was interested it, in managing, it, not coaching. It, 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 borders, it borders on self-sabotage at times. Like, is this guy really doing this? Is he really setting the lineup this way? Is he really walking guys on 0-1 pitches? Like, is this self-sabotage? Are you just ready to be done and you don't want to say it out loud? So you're doing it through your managerial actions? Like, he, you, he, has, not, he has not once over the last two months shown an ounce of piss and vinegar. He has mm-hmm. not shown one ounce of sticking up for his players in certain situations. He's asleep at the wheel, and that is – pun intended, but he is asleep at the freaking wheel and it's costing us a major opportunity in what is a year where we're expected to win things. I, I, I know you're not probably tuned into White Sox post game live every day or even the broadcast because you know, I you catch what Ozzy says. So that's where I'm kind of going with this now up until really the last week or so, even Steve Stone was very critical on the broadcast in the most critical way possible he could be after that um, 01 intentional walk. But I, I, Ozzy, uh, I shared the newsroom with Ozzy for two years. I, I know him decently well, but not well enough. Heard him talk about Tony Larusa. Ozzy worships Tony Larusa. Like he sees him yeah. as a father figure, favorite manager, favorite person. Like he loves Tony Larusa. And even yesterday, he got to the point where he's he's said it on the broadcast on the post game show. Like I love Tony Larusa. Like, this is he right now. He's Rick Renneria with credentials. Like that is, yeah. I don't know if that was the, it, intended to be as kind of a, a drop, they poor, can drop the mic on as, as, as broken with Ozzy. Like that's, you know what? I actually take that. I don't. I disagree with Ozzy because th- this team played for Rick Renneria. Like Ricky's yeah. boys don't quit was an act. Like yeah, we had fun with it, and, and Hawk said it, and like it was kind of said in jest, tongue in cheek, but like. Those guys actually didn't quit. Like they fought till the end. Sometimes they didn't com- complete a comeback. But like, if they went into the bottom of the ninth down three to one, you're like, all right, well, let's see if we can get something going. Yesterday they were down four to one to Shane Bieber, and I, I 
forgot where I was listening to it. It was one of the post-game shows, but somebody's like, yeah, I literally took a stopwatch from the start of the top of the ninth till the end. Two minutes, nine seconds. Yeah, zero. Two minutes, nine seconds. Shane Bieber threw 95 pitches in nine innings. One more pitch than Davis Martin threw in six against the White Sox in that first game. It's just a complete, complete lack of plate approach, complete lack of engagement with what the task at hand is. That was a team yesterday that looked at the, that walked into the clubhouse and said, shit, we got two. Let's not show up for three and a half hours. Yeah. That's what that that team did. and, And like, there's it's it's so frustrating i was talking to Alyssa, and like i said this is the most frustrated i've ever been as a sports fan because this team is so incredibly talented like they they are as talented as any other roster in the american league probably in baseball maybe short of the dodgers like they are that talented of a group they're right up there with the talent of the new york yankees and like you've seen it when they've played teams like that they're I think the last team to beat beat the Yankees in a series uh, when they beat them uh, at Yankee Stadium. Like, they're a very talented baseball team. There's just no game plan. There's no thought. There's no execution. It's just uh, – it's almost like they're not looking at film. They're not coming up with game plans. Or if they are, they're just completely ignoring them and the players have no interest in it. It's like what, what's happening outside of the nine innings, I think, could tell us a lot about this team. Like, exactly that. Like, what, what, what sort of work is being done – in the clubhouse, what sort of work is being done away from the game? What sort of work is being done to ensure that this thing does turn around? Because that work is not being done or presented by the manager. And I think that this is a team that maybe, as you said, doesn't have the self-starters within and needs a little bit more of that. Um, it's, it's unfortunate to watch it transpire the way it has, but if you want to, if you want to call Tony LaRusso a father figure to the players, to Ozzy, to whoever, it's it's time for dad to go to bed. You know, it's just that's fine. It's, kick him up, kick him up the organization, make him a scout, make him an advisor, make him something. You can be a father figure from the front whatever. office. Whatever, that's whatever. Fine. It's it's He's time not the for manager. dad to go to bed because it's it's the the experiment that we were all a little bit wary of the day it got announced mm-hmm. has has played out over a season and a half, and we know what it is. It's so, not. It's not a championship caliber alchemy in that clubhouse right now. So that leads me to the mailbag from, for today from friend of the podcast, Chris Sims. Uh, thanks, Chris, for, for giving us not a break from the, the Rob Gallick questions, but we would like to change Chris up Sale like, for right. a second. I, I like, wish it now. was Chris Sale. Rob, we love your questions, <laughs> but nice to get a different voice in here, too. I thought this was an interesting take because it's not like, you know, what's your long term plan? If you're running the White Sox, basically, what are you doing today right now to help the White Sox make the playoffs? So not like at the deadline, I want to go make a move for this guy or sell on this. What are you doing today to help the White Sox make the playoffs? And I I thought that was an interesting take, and I kind of think we talked about it. It's as easy of an answer as this might be. It's firing, reassigning, kicking upstairs, Grandpa Tony. Like that – that's the first move that has to be made because there's just no, there's no life in that clubhouse. And there's a video I'm sure managers yawn at times, but there's a minute a video of the clip of Tony on Twitter from before the second game yesterday, just standing next to Jose Abreu, letting out a big yawn, standing in his uniform with his hands across, like folded, like ridiculous. There's just there's nothing there. there. There's nothing there. He knows it. He has to know it at this point. I think everybody in the organization knows it, and I think that's. I, I'm not sure it immediately starts paying dividends, but that's the first move because you need to go get somebody that can actually wake up a clubhouse. But like that, that would be my follow-up question there is like, who st- is it like just Joe McEwing taking like an interim role? Or are you trying to bring someone in immediately? Like if you're telling me I'm the owner mm-hmm. of the Chicago white Sox and I'm trying to make things happen, not just for this year, but for years to come, I am doing everything in my power to get Bruce Bochy on Fair. the phone and say, I w- and say, that's fine. And say, Bochy, I know this is weird. I know we're, this is uncommon. 85, we're we're we 85 games into this season. We want you to come on. We want you to be the manager. We're going to call, we're going to call Joe McEwen. We want you to come on as a consultant and we're going to call McEwen the manager, but you're going to be in a uniform. Yeah. You're going to be in the dugout. And a month from now, we're going to make a transition. McEwing's going to go back to third, and you're going to be the manager of the Chicago White Sox. I know yep. it's not traditional, but I want you to have this. I want you to have this. Um, this 
stopgap. I want you to have this bridge to figure out who we are, what we're doing, and where the inefficiencies are. You get an office, you're quiet for a month, and then it's your team as we head to September. And yeah. I think that that would be my best case scenario if I could really be a puppet master owner, get Bochi in, kick LaRusso to the curb or put him upstairs and, um, and figure out how you can salvage what should have been a very successful season. Because not only do I think a guy like that knows how to push the right buttons once he learns the team a little bit, like you said, maybe after a couple of weeks or a month, whatever. But if you sign him to, you know, a three year, four year contract to be your manager, it's probably is probably his last contract. Sure. But like going into this off season after getting to know the team, learning the team a little bit, he can have, you know, he can sit down in a boardroom with Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams and Jerry and essentially tell them like, yeah, this guy's got it. This guy doesn't like an X player is not, a, and then, he's, he's and a very then talented player, but you're not winning a world. To know series. everybody, you know, yeah. don't, like, don't waste this. Don't waste next spring getting to know everybody. And I think that, I know that's like completely wishful thinking and it's not likely to happen, but at the, at the bare minimum, Tony LaRusso cannot be in that dugout on a day-to-day basis. And, and I'm going to say it like this, it's just not going to happen either. Reinsdorf is going to keep his friend in place until Tony comes up and says, I'm tired. I can't do it anymore. Like that's, that's going to be the deciding factor is he will not reasons or he will not be, it will not be fired. The the, the word, the the sentence Tony LaRusso has been fired will never be, mentioned it will yeah. be there's been a mutual parting of ways tony larusa has been reassigned tony larusa has resigned maybe but like you're not going to see him get fired but i don't the the one reason i i'm not even going to say optimistic that it's going to happen in season or think it will but i'm saying that i think there's like a 10 percent chance is the fact that you're now starting to see it on you know NBC Sports Chicago is a Jerry-owned network, essentially. I think he owns yep. the, a majority stake in that network, if not a very large, if not a majority, a very large stake. And you have your mouthpieces of the team. I mean, Steve Stone has been insulting Sox fans on Twitter for getting upset. He's on the broadcast yesterday, like after you don't you pitch to, to Jose Ramirez with two runners on down one. He told, nothing. He told Benetti, you can ask the question. I just don't yeah, have an I answer can. for you. Well, th- th- that was the intentional walk before then. If you, if you're dead set on not letting Jose Ramirez beat you, don't pitch to him with a base just open and two, ru- two runners on. He said, yeah, well, we wanted Davis Martin to pitch around him. All right. You're asking the 26 man on your roster, a double header call up who, who's been good this year when he's been called up, but you're asking a guy like that, not a Johnny Cueto who, is been around the block, knows how to pitch around a pitcher. Is there a batter like that? You're asking Davis Martin to pitch around. No, just put him on. And let's then you also get- not forget. Let's also not forget. It's a four nothing ball game. We need outs and we need runs. Like mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a one one game. And you're trying to keep Jose yeah. Ramirez from you from pitch around him down one nothing, not four nothing when you have an 0-1 one count. Yeah, I don't it's know. it's uh, but it's that's stupidity. I mean, that's, that's where it's um, you and, make a great point about you know, the network starting to speak out and that's when, you know, true, uh, that when, when disgruntled takes are reaching that level, when, when fans and broadcasters and, um, fans on the other side of town are all on the same page. Um, it, it, you might need to look in the mirror and make a bit of a change here if you're Jerry Reinsdorf, but, um, We'll see if that's the way it plays out, and I hope that something happens because let's not forget that the defending champion Braves were, what, 11 and a half back in July last year? Yeah. You can get hot if you got a good team and the right manager and the right belief. We you have, have to make the right the moves player. also at the deadline. You we have, have the player, the, yeah. The Braves, the Bra- now, don't get me wrong, the Braves made a great run. The Braves made a move for Jock Peterson, uh, yep. Eduardo Escobar, right? And one other who I'm forgetting, but they made three kind of low risk, high reward, low risk moves, and they all hit. Now that that, that can happen, but Rickon has to make some. I don't I don't know what those moves are right now because Josh Harrison, as bad as he was in the first half, has actually started like, the last month and a half. Is actually pretty good at second base. I'm not exactly sure what the moves are right now, but the right moves have to be made. Probably a bullpen arm, probably another starter, but like you, you, you got to make moves at the deadline. They have to be the right ones. Um, you want to talk low risk, high reward? Can I interest you in Nikhil Harry for a seventh round pick in twenty twenty four? I'm very interested <laughs> in that. That's fantastic. Um, 
so am I. And, you know, the, uh, the talking heads out on Twitter wanted to make fun of the Bears. Oh, they finally overhauled the receiving core with Akeel Harry. Well, you can look at it that way, or you could look at it like we just got a guy who Bill Belichick saw something in three and a half years ago mm-hmm. uh, who drafted him 32nd overall, and we just got him for a pick that would likely be a P-squad guy. And it's going to cost us a million dollars over two years with 600 guaranteed. It was a beautiful, low-risk, high-reward move by Ryan Poles, and I love what he did. Uh, yeah, and not only did Bill Belichick see something in him, was it three years ago? But I, I feel like the rumor was the Pats moving to look at, or looking to move on from him for the last like two years, and yeah. Bill kept holding on to him. So he clearly saw something in him for a decent amount of time. And he, I mean, he's a big target. He's a playmaker at Arizona State. And I think he can be a threat in the deep ball game. And that's, this is an example of doing, you know, a, a general manager and a head coach and an offensive coordinator trying to put their quarterback in the best place to succeed. Because what mm-hmm. does Justin Fields do really, really well? He throws the deep ball really, really well. What does Luke Getze's offense kind of scheme around? What's based off the big playability, the deep ball? This is another guy that is, is a big target with some speed that is a low-risk, high-reward kind of move. I, and it's going to work out. Maybe not. Who knows? But, okay, the seventh-round pick in 2024, whatever. We're, we're obviously looking for answers in the passing game, yes. But I think we're looking at this acquisition wrong. This is an acquisition for the run game. Akeel oh, yeah, Harry I saw was, that as well. Did you see the number? He was an 84.7% mm-hmm. Run Him and Byron Pringle were like number one and two uh, in terms of run blocking receivers. Nikhil, Nikhil Harry was fourth overall in run block, blocking Sorry, grades. both top five. Byron uh, Pringle was, Byron Pringle Byron was, right Pringle was six. No, he was 16th, but still. Okay, whatever. Very good. My bad. Above, they've, they've acquired two run blocking wide receivers that are effective in that part of the game with Monty and Khalil Herbert in the backfield and Justin Fields, who conceivably – is a quarterback that will thrive off of play action. He only had 57 play action pass attempts last year. How that's possible, I have no idea. There were 57 you know play action, there were 57 play action passes in a single Pac-12 game last year. You know how it's like possible. This was, yes, I know how it's possible. Shit coaching, shit play calling. That's how it's possible. If I've, this coach if this coach is going to put his quarterback in the best position to succeed, you're going to run the ball. You're going to get the pass off of play action. And it looks like we have two wide receivers who can do both of those things. Yeah. And I, we had uh, I do, we have a morning show every day, 1030 and on, on Tuesdays and Fridays, I, I'm, I host it. And yesterday we had, you know, we're, it's, it's the, uh, you know, kind of dead period in terms of sports betting. So I, I was, I, I gave out a bears prop, a bears like season future prop. Justin Fields' pass yards total, I believe, in most books right now is set at like 3,350, which is like It's like uh, Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz type level. Yeah. Take that over. Uh, he's gonna, I like that I think over. he's going to get a lot. It's, it's like averaging 200 yards a game. He, man, he showed flashes last year in an offense with a coach that was trying to sabotage him actively. Like, yeah. I, I, I think he's going to have a very, very good year. Can they protect him is going to be the biggest question. But I think they made strides to do that, adding Lucas Patrick, getting Cody Whitehair back to his natural position. I, I think their tackles were fine last year, and I, they only really have room to grow. And here's I, the thing. Tevin Jenkins, Tevin Jenkins was picked to be that dude. You can't expect him to be that dude coming off a of back surgery in his rookie season. Now we can yeah. expect him to be that dude. If he's not that dude, then yes, we have a real need and a real problem at the tackle position. But he might be that dude. Yeah. I, 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 I trust this management team to get it done. I saw your uh, – you, re- you either retweeted or quote tweeted yeah. it the other day. Scott Pioli, who worked with Ryan Poles and KC, talking about him. Like, mm-hmm. I, I trust that this guy knows exactly what he's doing. Like, I don't get the – People in the like, teams in the NFL kind of have years like this where are the Bears, you don't tank in the NFL. It's very hard to do that for the Bears. The Bears are clearly playing the long game to try and, you know, get as many picks as they can get a good pick next year. I don't think the Bears are actively trying to sabotage anybody. I think they're taking low risk, high remove or high reward type players that, you know, mm-hmm. fit their quarterback strengths, which is what you should be doing in a year like this, in a year that you're not ready to win. Yeah, I think that, uh, while we need to temper expectations, we should also take these next few months, you and I and yeah. the rest of Bears fans, 
to outline some actual objectives for this team. I think that that Justin Fields over is a nice bet, but it's also a nice objective for him mm-hmm. as a benchmark of progression. Um, I think that keeping an eye on that, on that play action pass number is something, a good benchmark there. I think that we need to maybe outline a couple bullet points for individual players and this coaching staff to what constitutes actual success for the bears this season. Mm-hmm. Then you put a win number on it. Then you start thinking about eight wins, nine wins. If you're God awful lucky, um, seven wins wouldn't make me mad. Six, you're not feeling great about things. Uh, Vegas's number is at six and a half six right now. I, I, I don't like using that. I, I don't like the bears being like, Hey, our mark is to hit our team over, but like, Seven wins. Seven, is a solid seven win for this team. Seven wins. Uh, pr- protection percentages. Um, clipping the Packers once. Clipping the keeping Vikings the, once. Keeping the offensive line on the field and healthy. I know that's difficult. That's not um, the most like tangible goal or the it's mo- the goal. It's very out of your control. But yep. just keeping that offensive line healthy is going to be. I, very I, I need. I need a I need a shot play every fifteenth play. I, I need I need a downfield look every fifteenth play. Like there's certain things. I that don't we think do. we're going to have problems with that this year. I I I think we're going to see that quite a bit. I, I, yeah, it's what I, our I, quarterback does best. And if you're running the ball well, which we know this team can do because they did it last year, in with a terrible offensive minded head coach with them and with with an okay offensive line, they were still able to run the football. They have two pretty good running backs. They're going to be able to do that they're going to have to execute on those deep shots. They're going to take play action. I think they're going to have a chance to do it. I'm really, I'm excited to see this offense. I'm kind of trying to say some things without saying them here and talking about outlining objectives because super bears. I had, no, no, no. (laughs) I had this conversation with uh, a kid we hired. uh, uh, We added him to the stats team. He's a statistician, whatever from Chicago. First day on the job. First day on the job was three days ago. I met him for the first time yesterday. He goes, yeah, I'm from Chicago. Oh, we started talking Bears. Dude, we're going to be so bad this year. That's just like, no, we're not going to be so bad this year. We're an NFL franchise who's going to be, yes, in the bottom third of the league, most more likely than not. But just saying we're going to be so bad, we're not going to win any game, we're going to win three games, that's this like fatalist, nothing's going to get better approach. We We just cleaned house. How could you not have some expectation? Now, reasonable expectation, but how could you not have expectation of a second-year quarterback, a second-year tackle, a first-year and first-time head coach, a first-year and first-time executive? How could you not put expectation at their feet? It's time. Yeah. We, have new, we have a new regime, and we need to set realistic expectations in front of them. But just saying – this year's going to suck, man, is just a cop out to not get better and be exactly where we are today, 365 days from now. That's the only unacceptable outcome of this season is to be exactly where we are today, 365 days from now. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think we'll be at that point. I, so what I'm saying is I yelled at the new guy. Good. You know, sometimes <laughs> Joe, they need that. They need that. Uh, and then I introduced myself. Hi, I'm Joe. Where, hey, where, where do you go to high school? Uh, he was up at, I forget what high school it was, but he was an Evanston kid. So, uh, um, who knows? Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. About him. <laughs> uh, Matt, I think we've unpacked quite a bit here on the Moose and Runes episode 260. That is, uh, you got anything else for the people here? Um, do you have any final thoughts? Open championship bears, socks. Is there anything we didn't get to? Something really we weighing can- heavily on you right now? I the, give me a little bit of a hockey minute here. It can be a hockey conversation. You're on the um, clock. Well, Duncan Keith retired. That made me really yep. sad. That that's sad. I, I I know it was. I can't. We said our goodbyes last year when they traded him. Yeah, man, it made no. See, it did make me weird. sad. It was like if we can't have him, I, I don't want anyone to go that's, retire. Come back for the come back for the jersey retirement. It didn't make me sad as much as like man, like I can't believe Duncan Keith is done playing hockey. That was very. That's just very very strange. Only yeah. seven years ago, he was scoring that game winner uh, in game right, six so against my, the Lightning. Here's the question to you. Um, this is not, uh, this is not good for the timeliness of podcasting. And when people sure. may or may not listen Love to this the timeliness of podcasting, we are We're recording this. Uh, it is currently 1131 Eastern standard time, 1031, 1031 central time on Wednesday, <laughs> July 13th, 2022, the year of our Lord. Um, is Patrick Kane, is Patrick Kane a Blackhawk tomorrow? Yes. Uh, okay. there, I saw some reports coming out today that, uh, people are calling on Kane, but the Hawks have pretty much said we're in an open dialogue with them right now. Nothing, nothing yeah. imminent is going to happen. 
it'll be in season if at all. Um, yeah. Now I'm just that, like I'm just like ready that, to buy a cane. I'm just ready to buy a, a cane Rangers jersey. That's I, all. I, <laughs> I have. I mean, if if he does get moved, it's probably the Rangers or Colorado. That's the only place that wouldn't piss me off, like that's Colorado would. Colorado wouldn't piss me off, honestly. Like, Even though they're in the division, like I don't know, fine, I'd be happy for him. Go play with Nate. Fine, it'll be really fun. But to if watch. but if he gets traded to New York, then you could come visit and we can go watch him at MSG. That's so true. Like I'm, I, I'm, I, I'm already. I'm already thinking of it like, what does this mean for me is what I'm, is what I'm kind of thinking about. I like that. That's fair. That's yeah. I, I respect that. Um, so he I, could play I, for I, either the Rangers or the Hartford Whalers. If they bring them back, <laughs> <laughs> we can get to either place pretty quick. I don't think he's, I don't think he's getting moved. I think he's going to be a deadline. If at all, I, I, I don't know, man. It just, it seems like every time it's been the logical time to move him, he kind of keeps saying no. I, I yeah. truly think, now, if he hadn't won three cups already, I, I think that he would be all right, like, all right, let's go. It just seems like there's a sense of loyalty, a sense of love for Chicago. And just, I, I don't think he wants to move. I, now, I'm never going to say never because the Hawks might beg him to waive that no trade clause if they get an offer they can't refuse. But $10 million is a lot to add. The Hawks all of a sudden now, they're on the hook for $5.5 of Duncan Keith's salary because of the really dumb moronic retirement clause thing with his contract. Um, So that's a little bit more cap room that the Hawks are going to be a little more hesitant to eat because I think they want to add some cap. Like there's a rumor of the Flyers wanting to move the the $7 million that James Van Reems, like the Hawks would be, you know, a contender to take on guys like that so they can add picks. So retaining Patrick Kane's salary doesn't become as um, appealing to them there. And I, I, it just kind of feels like he wants to be here, that he wants to yeah. just be a Blackhawk for life, that he wants to pass Stan Makita's points total and goals, to- goals total and assist total. Like it, it, it seems like that's – he's got nothing left to accomplish in the game. Like he could retire today and be the greatest American hockey player of all time, the greatest – maybe not the greatest stats of all time for a Blackhawk, but the greatest Blackhawk of all time. He could reti- he's done it all. He is 33, and I think the one thing maybe he wants left is to – be like play the most games as a Blackhawk, be the all-time points leader, be the all-time goal scoring leader, and have that C on his jersey for a few seasons. Which I think um, Jonathan Taves, this will be his last year as a Blackhawk. I would be stunned if it wasn't if he's not moved by the deadline. And I mean, Patrick Kane's then the guy. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's his. It's Patrick Kane's kind of already the guy, even though Taves been wearing the C the last couple of years, especially but with the year was, off. Like it's yeah, been Kane's the year team off, for a yeah. while now. Um, Kane is kind of the de facto captain, I think, already. And and I think he I, I think he just wants I think that's how he wants to finish out his career for, you know, I, I still think he's got a good eight years left in him. You look at Alex Ovechkin at age 36, and he's mm-hmm. still scoring 40 goals. Patrick Kane is 33, and his game is the type of game that ages well. He's not this physical specimen who's relying on yeah, no, he gets to the soft the spot still. Yeah. Yeah. He he can you skate? Yes. Do you have handles? Yeah. Yes. Are you smart? Yes. Can you pass? Yes. Those aren't traits that are really aging. So I Mm -hmm. think he's a guy that in three-ish years when they're probably ready to be, you know, hey, let's go to the playoffs. Let's be a team that's, you know, a fun contender. Patrick Kane at age 37, while he's not an MVP candidate anymore, is still a very, very good top line, if top six, you know, player that's probably able to get some free agency, give the Hawks some clout in going and getting like a free agent talent around that time. So I, I think he's going to stay here. Uh, I really so, do. I, I was 50, 50. And then I saw some reports today that, you know, they're, they're kind of telling people at the deadline, if anything. And I think that tells me that Patrick Kane wants to be here. So what you're telling me is that those who stay will be champions. Those who stay will be champions. If Patrick Kane stays, the Hawks will be a champion again. If he wears the C, that will probably be my last purchased Blackhawks jersey. I would wow think. for myself. We, I was going to say we can't just we can't just get you a C and sew it on the on no the cane jersey. no 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 no. He, he did. well because honestly my only my only cane I have, I have two cane jerseys right now. One winter classic. Bought. I have a, I do not have a winter classic. I have the I have okay. just the generic red that I think was a Christmas present when he was a rookie that already okay. has an A on it. Um, nice. And then I have a a. Uh, 2010 white one with the with the cup patch you can't put the c on it with the cup patch because everybody knows he wasn't the captain then so i need to do it all over again that's exactly right and and i'm in the same predicament my only cane is a team usa uniform so that's a sick jersey though it's a nasty one it's a nasty one but um that was matt's hockey minute uh roughly 10 i put it at 10 minutes but uh, it was patrick kane and duncan keith had 20 
That's it. We will see what the uh, roster looks like on the tail end of Wednesday's deadline. Uh, But until then, he is Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, let's have ourselves a major championship week. Put on your red on Here we go, Tiger. Walk up the 72nd ferry with a chance to do it for the 16th time. I was about to short him one major. But uh, he is Matt Rooney. I, I could never. He is Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. We appreciate you guys. Always tuning into the pod. This, this episode 260. Keep this thing rolling downhill as we get closer and closer and closer to kicking the NFL and in college. But for now, season Matt, preview right around the corner. Matt, say goodbye to the people. Later. May God give you for every storm a rainbow, for every tear a smile, for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial. I swear I've seen a lot of stuff in my life, but that was awesome. Chicken on the stick was phenomenal.